0: have demonstrated great faith in their lives, not perfect individuals, but individuals who demonstrated faith uh, so that we could take that example and follow after it in honor of our great God. So far, our study in the characters of faith has concerned or has concentrated in what we would commonly call the Old Testament, okay? Last week we focused on Father Abraham and reminded ourselves why faith is so necessary in the life of the child of God. This morning we're going to consider if the faith of these Old Testament saints had its roots or is the same kind of faith as those who we say lived in the New Testament time frame. Now let's start with just a brief discussion though about those two testaments. We know that the Old Testament deals with the time period from Genesis to Malachi, okay, which includes the time starting with creation, moving through the patriarchs, the call of Abraham, and the story of the building of the Jewish nation. The Hebrew people, also known as the Israelites, that's all, all that we have in the Old Testament. Now, yes, there's a smattering of things uh, that happen in the, na- in the nations that surround Israel. Okay, but primarily the focus of the Old Testament is on the Jewish people. It includes the kings, starting with Saul, including David and Solomon, and all those that ruled after them from the short-lived United Kingdom through what we have come to understand as the divided kingdom. It talks about the prophets that God used uh, to call the nation of Israel to repentance, as well as some of the surrounding nations like Nineveh. Uh, In Assyria, God had prophets that specifically went to those nations and called them to repentance. Those prophets were men of God who lived by faith, not perfect men. But we learned about them. We learned about different people um, like Gideon. Okay, a man who tested God in different ways, but was used by God in amazing ways. So these scriptures also continue talking about the captivity that God sent them in, um, both the, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, and how God used outside nations to accomplish his will and his plan to draw those people, his covenant people, back to a right relationship with him. That's all happening in the Old Testament scriptures. And I submit to you that we might think about maybe rather than calling them the Old Testament scriptures, call them the Jewish scriptures, okay, because that's who they were written to. That's primarily what that period of time is all about. And then we move into what is commonly referred to as the New Testament. The New Testament starts with the Gospels, or does it? We say that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the beginning of our New Testament. But in reality, those four books are all lived out under the Old Testament economy. They're all about the things that were happening at the birth of Christ. It starts out with that great event, the incarnation of Jesus. But Jesus came as a Jewish man to minister to who? The Jewish people. To call them to repentance, to authentically offer to them the kingdom of God, which was kind of futile, much like Jeremiah's ministry, because he knew that they wouldn't accept it. And therefore, that New Testament, those four gospels, include some very imperative information for what we now know as the church. That which is the birthplace of the church is found in the book of Matthew where Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus was promising. Jesus was predicting. Jesus was telling the Jewish people in essence, hey, you remember what I said through the prophet Habakkuk when you will not be my people? That's what's going to happen. Because I'm going to start this thing called the church. And while I'm working with the church, you will not be my people. Why? Because you rejected me. You didn't want me to be your savior. Jesus the Messiah came as the promised one and offered to the Jewish people a legitimate offer of the kingdom and they rejected it. You're not the Messiah we want. You're not the one we're looking for. Not because they Shouldn't have recognized it because the prophet Isaiah speaks again and again and again about the suffering servant who must come first. And he did come. But you know what they were looking for? They were looking for the conquering king, not the suffering savior. It's not the suffering servant. They wanted the one who was going to kick Rome out and, and give them all of the power, fulfill all of those promises that were made to them that are yet unfulfilled. But you can't have the conquering king until you accept the suffering servant. So all the things that happened in the gospel were a lead up to what we might consider as the Christian scriptures which are, un, are unfolded for us in what we would call now today the New Testament. So it's not a huge deal, but sometimes the way we refer to things are important and it helps us set the context for what we know, what we believe, and what we follow. So we have in the Old Testament the Jewish scriptures, and we have primarily in the New Testament the Christian scriptures. We would agree with that in, in principle, right? I, I mean, I've had people say to me before, Pastor, don't preach out of the Old Testament. That wasn't written for us. That was written for the... You know what what my response is? There's a lot that we can learn from the Old Testament. So I don't discount the Old Testament. I I love to preach from the Old Testament. okay? Um, And then they will follow that up by saying, Pastor, preach from the New Testament because that was written to the church. That was written to us. That was written to those of us. So we would agree with that in principle, but let us remember it as we study God's word. Faith in the Jewish scriptures, let me tell you this, Uh, it was about the coming of a Messiah predicted in Genesis as one who would bruise the head of the serpent. And we know that serpent is Satan because Satan embodied the serpent. Eve declared in Genesis chapter 4 verse 1, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. That was Eve believing God would do what he said he would do. Because remember he said through you Eve one will be born who will crush the head of the serpent that's what she was waiting for and when she gave birth to a what looked like a miniature of her husband she said I've gotten a man from God hallelujah thank you Lord this is the answer this is the one who's going to crush the head of Satan but we know that it didn't come that soon right the, the, the one who was going to crush the head of Satan didn't come with Abel. It didn't come with Cain, because Cain killed Abel. More sin that entered into the world. It didn't come with Seth, although she was quite excited when Seth was born. I've gotten another man from the Lord who she thought would be the one who would fulfill those promises. You see, even though sin, even though Eve plunged us into sin in the garden with Adam, she had faith. You know what? It's the hope for sinners. Faith is the hope that keeps us moving forward in our relationship with God. Had, we have to have faith. We have to believe that God is who he says he is and will do what he says he will do. And then I order my life accordingly. We move on in the Jewish scriptures. And we look and we see this man named Noah who built a boat. Anyone might think, ah, it's no big deal. He built a boat. But he built it in the desert. Okay, how many people do you think run a shipbuilding business in the Sahara? Sahara, however you want to say it. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say zero. I don't think anybody's running a shipbuilding business in the desert. Any desert, you pick it. But Noah... Built a boat in the desert to save his family and to preserve life on earth. Why? Because that's what God told him to do. God said, Noah, go build an ark. A what? You you need to help me out here, God. I don't know what. Well, he probably did know because history tells us, not necessarily the scriptures, but history tells us Noah spent some time living on the coast learning about shipbuilding. So when God said, go build a boat, he knew what he was talking about, but living in the desert, he was thinking, really? Okay, if that's what you want me to do, I will do it. Noah believed that God was going to send this thing called rain, which is another, a what? You're going to send what? It's going to be water that comes out of the sky. They hadn't had that before. It never rained. God took care of it. The ecosystem was different in Noah's day prior to the flood than it is today. We wouldn't have come up with the saying "April showers bring May flowers" in that time frame, because there weren't any showers. God did it with dew, and God did it with the vapor canopy, and God took care of it all. There was no wondering: Are we going to have enough rain this year? Are we going to have enough rain to grow our crops? Are we going to have a? There wasn't any of that questions. God took care of it all. Noah believed that God would send rain, water falling from the sky. Noah took the plans that God gave him and he used those plans and he built, them exactly, built the boat exactly the way God said to. And then when God said, gather, gather the animals, and we, we, we often say two of each kind, and for the most part that's true, not completely, but he said, take two of each kind and take them into the boat. How am I going to get them here? They'll come, don't worry about it. Noah believed it. God brought the animals to the ark. They were loaded on the ark just in the spots where God told them to be put, that's where they went. Lions and tigers and bears and you know the whole thing. All of the animals God put on the boat. When Noah closed the doors, the sun was shining. God closed up the ark and it soon began to storm. And just what God said happened. Noah built the ark because he was a man of faith. He believed what God told him to do. He did it. He ordered his life accordingly. And God saved the earth and the people and the animals to repopulate. And if you will to restart or reboot the human race. We next encounter that man Abraham who God called his friend. God called him out of Ur. We talked about this last week. To form the nation of Israel from who all the nations of the earth would be blessed. We looked in depth at Abraham's life last week. Last week we were also reminded that faith is so vital in the life of the one who follows after the one true God. We must be people who live by faith. You see, people that live by faith are seen throughout the Jewish scriptures. We've studied some of them. David exercised great faith when he went out and he fought Goliath. He believed God that, would, that God would use the stone from his sling to defeat not only the enemy of the Israelites, but the enemy of God. He didn't know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God would do it just the way he did it, but David only knew certain things. He only knew how to, how to defeat an enemy using a sling and a stone. Remember, he tried the sword, he tried the spear, he tried the armor. It didn't work for him. He said, I have to believe that my God will take care of this. I just need to make myself available. So he did. He went out in his shepherd garb. And Goliath thought he was a fool. He said, what are you coming to me with sticks and stones? I'm going to kill you, you little rug rat. Now, those probably weren't his words, but we understand what he meant. And David looked at him and says, no, no, that's not the way it's going to end. God, the God of my fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the God of the patriarchs, that God, the God that you mock when you stand out here, that God is going to deliver you into my hands and I'm going to cut off your head and feed it to the birds. And so when... The time was right, and Goliath made his move. David ran straight towards him. He didn't run away from him. He ran straight forward. He reached into his hand. He grabbed his stone. He put it into his sling. And you know the song. It went round and round and round and round. And the prayer went up in the air, and the stone went up in the air, and it hit Goliath right between the eyes, where there was nothing to protect him. And the giant came tumbling down. Not because of the stone, not because of the sling, but because the faith that David had in the God who he served. We also have studied about this woman named Esther, who was raised up for such a time as this. She wasn't planning on winning the beauty contest, she wasn't planning on becoming the next queen of the most powerful nation in the world. She wasn't planning on being the one that God saved, used to save her people, his people, the nation of Israel. She wasn't planning on being that one. But her uncle said, don't you forget, God's not finished with the Jewish people. And if, it doesn't, if deliverance doesn't come from you, my girl, deliverance will come from the hand of God through another And Esther said, you pray with me, you fast with me for the next three days. And at the end of that period, I'm going in before the king. And if he says yes, praise the Lord. If he says no, then he's going to have to find somebody else to use to deliver us. Because when the king said no, you didn't survive the no. Okay? So Esther prayed and fasted along with the rest of the people of Israel and in before the king she goes and the king raises his scepter to say yes oh my queen I haven't seen you in so long what is it that you want you tell me and I'll give you anything you want come for a feast you know the story two feasts later she reveals Haman's wicked plot to wipe out the Jewish people Xerxes was not pleased with that plot. Even though he knew all about it, he didn't know know that who the people were. He knew Haman's plan. He knew his desires to wipe out a people that Haman lied to him about. He said, These people are a a trouble to the nation. They're going to be the under, they're going to be the downfall of the nation. We must get rid of them. So the king, believing his trusted dividers, says, Do what you gotta do. Take care of it. Only God was at work, the sovereign God of the universe, the creator the one who makes the sun rise and the sunset and the tides come in at the ocean, the one who makes the world spin around on its axis, that same God was at work. And once the plan was revealed, the king said, we're not having any of this. He told the Jewish people that they could defend themselves. And on that day, in fact, two days, took two days for the Jewish people to defend themselves and to wipe out their enemies. And God saved the Jewish nation. It's recorded for us in the, in the Hebrew Scriptures. We also met this man named Joshua. Joshua, when he was a young man, was given a challenge. He was told, to serve, serve you. you know, determine in your mind today who you will serve. Be strong and very courageous, but trust the Lord. Put your strength in the Lord, put your courage in the Lord in what he tells you to do. And if you do what he tells you to do, he will drive out the enemy before you and you will be a victorious leader. And the nation of Israel will be established in the promised land. So Joshua followed those directions, even when they humanly seemed like they were ridiculous, like march around a wall. For seven days. And on the seventh day, march around for seven times. uh, Break the pitchers and yell and scream. And and I will make the walls come down. You will do what? That didn't make any sense. This is the most fortified city on the world at the time. And yet God was just going to make the walls fall down. Yeah, God said so. So when Joshua did it, he was being a man of faith. He's believing that God was able to do what he said he would do and he ordered his life and he set an example for the people of Israel. And for the most part, they went in and they drove out the people following these what we would call ridiculous plans from God. God didn't need the Jewish people to fight for him. He needed the Jewish people to obey him. And when they did, they saw victory from the hand of God. So here Joshua is at the end of his life. He's seen the faithfulness of God and he stands before the people of Israel and he says, And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me, Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see, Joshua lived by faith. He saw God keep his word, and now he challenges the people of Israel to follow his example, to trust the one true God, and to live sold out completely for his cause. We looked at a prophet of God who from time to time struggled, thinking that, oh, I'm all by myself. There's nobody else with me. Who's going to stand with me? God, I'm the only one left. And God said, no, you're not. Stop whining. There's 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Follow me, do what I tell you to do. And so he stands before the people of Israel, having been convicted by by the God of the universe, the God who his faith was resting in. He stood before the disobedient, rebellious, idol worshipping Israelites. And he said, Let's have a contest. Let's see whose God is alive and well and answers prayer. He challenged the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the Asherah. And he says, you build an altar and you sacrifice your animal on the altar. And if your God answers by fire, you win. I'm going to build an altar. I'm going to offer the sacrifice on the altar of God. And if my God answers by fire, I win and the people follow the God of Israel. So the prophets of Baal, they had their turn. They went on and on and on and on for hours. They're jumping on the altar. They're cutting themselves. They're dancing around. They're saying, Baal, hear us. What's the matter, Baal? How come you can't? Baal's not alive. He's dead. There's no such a thing as Baal. And so it goes on and on. And Elijah finally says, okay, you've had your turn. It's my turn now. So he repairs the altar. He places the, uh, he puts 12 stones there, one representing each tribe in the nation of Israel. He cuts up the lamb, he puts it in place, and, and everybody thinks, okay, it's time for the sacrifice. He says, no, let's bring out some water. Some what? Water. Remember, they're in a drought. Three years, they haven't had any rain. He dumps barrel after barrel after barrel after barrel of water, this precious commodity, on the altar. And you know how water and fire mix, right? They don't. So after everything is soaked up with water and there's water lying in the ditch around the altar, Elijah cries out to the God of Abraham. He says, oh God, hear me. And down from heaven. He didn't go on and on and carry on like a fool. He called out to the one true God. God answered with fire. He, he licked up all the water that was around the altar. He consumed the altar and all the sacrifice that was there. And the people said, God is God. Yes, he is. God is God. They shouldn't have needed that demonstration of God's power. But because they were lacking in faith, because they had rebelled against God, God gave this, them this magnificent display of power. And then they put the prophets of Baal to death, and Elijah ran and hid. I told you he struggled with faith. But he also said in the process that God would give rain, and God sent rain, and the land was revived. The people were revived. They were ready to go on and serve the one true God. Elijah's faith led to a revival in the nation. It restored that covenant relationship between God and his people There was an account of the woman God raised up for such a time as this. We talked about Esther. We talked about several people who God would use as an example of faith to the people that he called to be his people, the people of Israel. God granted the people of Israel, every time they cried out to him, a fresh understanding of what faith really was. We're going to transition into the Gospels. And we're going to see many accounts in the Gospels of people acting in faith. But before I do that, let me first share with you the words. You know, music in the 80s was great. Um, It wasn't very singable all the time. But it it was joyful, it was pleasant to listen to. There is a group that's been around, still going today, believe it or not, the Gaither Vocal Band. One of our favorite albums. I don't even know if they call them albums anymore. But one of the favorite albums that they put out... Right after, In fact, the year we got married was an album called Wings. Check it out on Spotify or Apple Music or whatever it is you use for your music. Go on YouTube, you can find it. Um, But they talked about faith and how they mixed it in between the two testaments. Listen to the words. When a desert dweller built his God a boat, you know who that is, right? Noah. When a desert dweller built his God a boat, it took a faith. When on water stepped a fella, knowing he could float, you know who that was, Peter in the Gospels, it took a faith. Oh, when a pint-sized lad whipped a giant of a man and all he had was a slingshot in his hand, when walls tumbled down at a trumpet's blast, it took more than a wish that it would come to pass, it took a faith, it took a stand, it took a firm belief in a supernatural plan, it took a hope, it took a dare, it took a mighty God and a fervent prayer. No tricks, no fluke, no mistake, just faith. When you first received what God had done for you, it took a faith. Just a mustard seed, but just the same, it's true, it took a faith. So when the water's deep and the storm is great, when the giants take your strength away, when life tumbles down around your feet, just recall what it took when you first believed. It took a faith. It took a stand. It took a firm belief in a supernatural plan. It took a hope, it took a dare, it took a mighty God and a fervent prayer. No trick, no fluke, no mistake, just faith. Oh, something so attainable, why is it so attainable? Because God gives it to us. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Oh, something so attainable, its powers unrestrainable and so easily explainable. Because every great work that has ever been done, it took a faith. The great work of salvation in your life took faith. The great, salvation, the great work of salvation in every individual who has ever lived, who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, took faith. It took a faith. It's a supernatural plan. The people who are wise in the world's wisdom, they say it's foolish. How, how can one man's death on a cross mean anything for everybody else or anybody else? It's a supernatural plan. Let's look at faith in the Gospels. We're going to consider just two of them as we think about faith during the time of the Jewish scriptures and faith in the Gospels. Was it the same? The Gaither vocal band seems to think so. But let's see from God's word. Matthew chapter 8, verses 7 through 10, it says this. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Centurion, not a Jew, but a centurion. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. But only speak a word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled, and he said to those who followed, who were following him, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Wow, this centurion had faith. You see, he heard about Jesus. Everybody heard about Jesus in those days. He heard about Jesus and he believed that if Jesus said something and he, the centurion, ordered his life accordingly, then God, Jesus, would do what he said he would do. That's how much faith he had. He was willing to order his life according to the words of Jesus. His servant, who he was coming to Jesus on behalf of, his servant who was paralyzed, who couldn't do anything in his own strength, his servant who had served him well, was paralyzed. And he came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, would you take my servant into account? The Bible doesn't say, but you know what? His servant could have very well been a Jewish person because they were in captivity to Rome. Doesn't really matter, but just food for thought. Jesus said, I'll I'll come and heal your servant. And the centurion says, No, no, no. Not necessary. Just say the word. Just just you don't even have to take a step towards my house. Just speak. And if it's your will, my servant will be healed. Jesus was, from a human perspective, impressed. Wow. And so he told the people of Israel, he said, I haven't seen so much faith in all of, all of Israel. Now, you've got to remember, Israel prided themselves in being the children of God. Father Abraham is our father. You know, those, those non-Jewish people, those Samaritans, those Gentiles, those dogs, that was their attitude towards anyone who was not a Jew. Why would you do anything for them in the first place? Jesus says, I haven't seen so much faith, even in all of Israel, as I see in this Gentile. That was a rebuke, believe it or not. That was saying, you should follow his example. You should have faith like he has faith. And Jesus said, go, your servant is healed. Now, if we go to other gospel accounts and read this story... We are told that at the, very t- at the very same time that Jesus said go and your servant is healed, his servant got up and walked around. He was no longer paralyzed. Why? Because the centurion had faith. He believed that God was able to do what he said he would do and he ordered his life accordingly. Another one that I want you to think about is found in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 5. It will be up on the screen if you want to look up there. Says there now, a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. Seems like some things don't change sometimes. Okay? The physician said, hey, this is what you gotta do. And she did it and it didn't help. No, better try this. She did it and it didn't help. On and on. She spent a lot of her time, she spent all of her resources trying to get better. And the scripture says she had spent all that she had. And was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him. Did you hear that phrase? When she heard about Jesus. In other words, she heard the truth of what Jesus was doing. How he was healing, how he was casting out demons, all of those kinds of things. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And this is where it kind of gets a little, we might think funny at first, but God has a plan, okay? And Jesus immediately knowing in himself the power had gone out from him, turned around in the crowd. In the crowd, hundreds of people, he says, someone touched me. Who was it? Who touched me? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitudes, Jesus? They're thronging around you. And you say, Who touched me? Of course people are touching you. They're bumping into you. They're rubbing shoulders with you. You're out here amongst them. They're going to touch you. They didn't understand. They didn't know that Jesus felt the power leave his body. They didn't know that the faith activated touch of the garment was doing what God only could do, heal this woman. And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go Go in peace and be healed from your affliction." The woman who had heard about this man, Jesus, believed him to be the Messiah. She knew the Messiah was able to do great works, healings among them, casting out demons. She was convinced that if she could just touch his garment, that would be enough to heal her. Jesus noticed her faith and commended her for it. I think it's safe to say that the faith in the Gospels was the same as the faith in the Jewish Scriptures. Believing that God is able to do what he says he will do and ordering our life accordingly. (sighs) And I look at the time and I look at the fact that we haven't even started the message yet. So we're going to hold on to that and we're going to do it next week. But you see here, is faith, the faith that you and I have today, the same as the faith that the daughter of Israel who had the flow of blood, the centurion's servant who is paralyzed, those in the Old Testament who lived by... Is it the same faith? It is. It is the same faith. And next week, we're going to take a look at this man named Stephen. And we're going to learn from Stephen that the faith in the church age is the same as the faith in the Gospels as well as the Jewish scriptures. So I'd encourage you to come back. We'll, we'll take a look at Stephen and we'll see how faithful this man was. He's only mentioned in, in two chapters of the Bible. There's not a lot said about this man, but what is said about him teaches us a lot about faith. So we'll learn about this faith of Stephen next week as we regather to share and look at God's word and understand more about being a man or a woman of faith. It doesn't matter if you're here this morning and you're a, a man or a woman. We've seen that in our study of this uh, idea of characters of faith so far. God uses women of faith, and there's plenty more of them besides Esther. I think of the little girl who was uh, taken captive into Samaria, and, and she heard about the king's servant, Naaman was his name who had leprosy that was a dreaded disease that was a disease of separation if you had that disease you couldn't go amongst the people and so the king the trusted his trusted advisor his lead warrior found out he had leprosy the king found out and he said, what am I going to do this little little Israelite girl I'm not even sure we get her name but she says oh my king what are you worried about there's a man in Israel who is a prophet of God, the one true God. Not any of your idols, but a prophet of the one true God. If you send Naaman to him, he will be healed. She believed. She spoke the truth. She influenced the king of Assyria to send his servant to the prophet, Elijah, I think. Um, ben and I get those two mixed up, don't we? Um, and so as we, as we think about that, he, went, he goes to the prophet, and, and the prophet says, oh, just go duck yourself seven times in the Jordan River. What? That's like telling somebody go duck yourself in the, in the Hudson. Okay? You laugh because you must know what the Hudson's like. Okay? It's dirty. It's filthy. And Naaman says, I can go into any of the rivers in Syria. They're so much cleaner. They're so much better. Why should I go duck myself in the filthy water of the Jordan River? I'm not going to do it. And his servant said to him, Master, if the prophet would have asked you to do something hard, difficult, wouldn't you have done it? Well, of course I would have. It doesn't get any easier than going dipping yourself seven times in the Jordan. It can't hurt. All right. He goes and he dips himself. First time he comes up, still got leprosy. Second time, still got leprosy. Sixth time, still got leprosy. Seventh time comes up. Guess what? He's clean as the driven snow. Wow. He's got no more leprosy. That little girl's faith was the spark that cured Naaman from his leprosy. Naaman didn't have faith. He wasn't going to go duck himself in the Jordan River. But that little girl's faith inspired him to do what God told him to do. He did it and he was healed. People of faith are throughout the scriptures, Old and New Testament, Jewish scriptures, Christian scriptures. Next week, we're going to look at this man named Stephen and see if he can inspire us to be a person, a man or a woman of faith. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you so much for faith. We thank you that you give us faith. You give us saving faith. You give us faith that helps us live in a way that demonstrates our trust our commitment our confidence in you father as we leave this place this morning we ask that you'd help us to be people of faith who believe that you are the one true god and we believe that if we do what you tell us to do in the pages of scripture if we order our life accordingly that you will keep your word to us father thank you for being the one true god Thank you for all that you do in and through us. We ask your blessing upon the remainder of our day. We ask that you would encourage us to come back out tonight to join you as we study more about Hebrew history. Father, it's a blessing to know how people lived in obedience to your word. Help us to be those kind of people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.